Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. All right, so let's let's go to the next question. Um, what is what is the best way to use a lawyer in family court? Let Denise take that. I mean, again, I think I think it depends on on what you're talking about. Um, I mean, if you've retained a lawyer to go into family court, let's say if we're talking custody, um, one is um, you know. I'm not, again, I'm not sure. I'm just going to, because again, I'm not sure what, like, um, what stage you're talking about. So if, you, if you're just going to retain a lawyer to go into family court, then um, in terms of the best way to use the lawyer, I'm not sure where, I'm not sure what you mean by that. But for instance, if you, if you, wanted, if you wanted to file a petition, so if you're going to file a petition, are you saying should they get a? Are you asking at what point they should get a lawyer to go into family court? Because yeah. if, if because in terms of um, how should they use their lawyer? Once you've retained the lawyer, the lawyer is supposed to know what to do, right? So if you've retained the lawyer for your custody matter and you've retained you know him or her from the beginning, then that person should be filing your petition, right? Um, should be making all of your appearances, making all of your arguments, like in terms of how to use them in family court, once they're retained, they should know what to do. So let me, let so me, that's why I'm not, yeah, I'm not clear when me, you say me, use them. Yeah. I'm gonna push on that. So for this next question is how do you, so how would you know when your lawyer is not working in your best interest? So maybe they're going through the motions and they're filing petitions and they're doing all the things that they, they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. They really, how do you know they're really working in your best interest? Because they're just doing through the motions, they're going through the processes, but how do you know that they're putting mm-hmm. work to move the move your agenda? Um, and I think that that, when you, to answer that question, I think that it would be how you engage with your lawyer. Because once, for instance, I'll just go through the custody, um, the custody case, for example. So you come to your lawyer, you ask, you tell your lawyer's situation, listen, I want custody, um, and I'll do it from the man's perspective. So we don't, you know, seem like there's a bias. The father comes to me, he says, listen, I want to file a custody petition. Um, the mother is, you know, she's being neglectful of the children. I've spoken to the children, they want to live with me. Okay, so now I go in and I file the petition. Okay, so the, the lawyer filed a petition because there's a lot of times there's this misconception like something is going on all the time. And not, there's a part, there's time when nothing's going on. So we, I filed the petition on your behalf, right? You want custody of your children. That, that petition has been filed. Now we have to wait for the first court date. On the first court date, the only thing that's going to happen is the judge is going to determine whether or not the other party is served, right? 
So we get to court, they find out whether the other party is served, and then if the other party is served, they'll say, okay, the issue is joined, meaning that we can go forward now. All of, you know, all of the procedural things that were supposed to take place took place, we can move forward. So then they may have a conversation, you all might have a conversation in court. Sir, what are you looking for? You know, Ms. Isla, what is your client looking for? My client is looking for sole physical and legal custody. Um, he's stating that the children want to reside with him, um, that the mother is not attentive to the children. Um, he's seeking sole physical and legal custody. So now at that point, depending on how the old the child is, let's say the child is seven. Now the judge is going to hear the mother out. Mother's going to put whatever her position is on the record. And then the judge is going to say, okay, we're going to put this matter over for a conference. In the interim, I'm going to assign attorney for the child, right? So now the attorney, so nothing has happening at this point. So now there could be some negotiation between myself and this other lawyer. But now we have to wait, right? Because now the judge has signed the, the children an attorney. So now all three of us have to have a negotiation, a talk. So I would say that your attorney, the attorney should be actively trying to engage with the other attorney to see if this matter can be settled so that they do not have to go to court. And if it, if it cannot be settled, narrow the issues down in terms of what is it that we're, that we're, um, we're you're fighting about. But other than that, there's nothing else going on between the next court date. There's nothing else to do. If I've spoken to his, the, the mother's attorney and I'm like, listen, you know, what does she want in terms of visitation? Is she willing to allow, is she willing to do, you know, joint legal custody, meaning that both parties would make decisions with regards to the child's education, religion, um, medical, uh, you know, we would make joint decisions as, in terms of that and then let my client have physical custody. He would the, the child would live with my client and then they can share joint custody in terms of making decisions. She may say, no, I don't want that. I want the child to stay with me. There's nothing else for us to do. That's try. So when you say that your attorney's not doing anything, if you all now come to that next court date and the judge says, okay, well, can we, uh, can we settle this? No, this is what she wants. This is what he wants. The child's attorney will chime in. Nope, my client wants to stay with his dad. If she's not willing to concede, we have to go to trial. So now the next thing to do is for us to prepare for trial. Now that's where sometimes it becomes an, oh, my lawyer's not doing what she's supposed to do. I wanted custody. Yes, that's why you have a petition. But she said no. So now that she said no, we have to have a trial. But that's where the sticking point comes sometimes because sometimes people feel like, well, I didn't ask for that in the petition. This is what I asked for. We get that's what you asked for. But since you guys didn't agree, we can't settle it. Now the judge is going to have to make the decision. So now we have to go to trial and put evidence before the court. But that's not a short process. Right. The judge may not have trial time for four or five months up, you know, up the calendar. What are, what are, what are we going to do? So I think that's where sometimes the misconception comes in. It's like, my lawyer ain't doing nothing. It's been three months, right? Because we have to go to trial. So you, you, you all should be preparing for trial, though. If you know that this is going to trial, you should definitely be in contact with your attorney. They should be going over trial strategy with you, going over the questions, preparing you for what, you know, checking with you to see if there's any evidence on any videos or, you know, text messages or anything that we need to put in the evidence to show that she's not fit. 
those things should be happening. So I think there should be some engagement with your attorney, but I think there has to be an understanding of the process because sometimes people don't understand the process. And because things are not going as quickly as they want it to happen, oh, the lawyer's not doing it. The lawyer's not doing anything. They're not doing enough. So um, that would be so that, my that, response. That's something real that happens often. With, yeah. With, 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 okay. All right. Yeah, and, and you know, just to kind of pick up on um, a lot of things that Denise said, uh, this is why when you go and you go to retain an attorney, um, you should come on with questions and your attorney should be willing to give you understanding. Mm. Mm -hmm. You should understand what are the factors that they're going to look at when they're deciding custody. What exactly is this thing that you're referring to, Mr. Ali, in his legal custody? Mm -hmm. mm. Gentleman will come in my office and he'll say, I just want 50-50. And I'm like, well, what what that mean? I don't want her taking away my rights. All right. Um, do you want the child to live with me? With with you? No, no. I just want to visit, you know, be able to visit stuff like that. Oh, so you don't want 50-50. And usually what that'll do is it'll set off a chain of questions. Well, mm -hmm. if I don't have 50-50 because the child doesn't live with me, what do I have? And that's when you, uh, 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 what I would call a good attorney and a good client, that's when the discourse starts. Mm. And that's when the process of understanding should start to shine through. Mm. That's what you say. Well, legal custody are things like, like Denise said, are things that uh, cover um, medical decision making, educational decision making, decision making regarding um, religion, decision making regarding um, some of the relationships that the child will have in their life, hmm. um, some of the extracurricular activities that they're involved with. Those are the things that encompass legal decision making. Physical custody is where the child is going to live. Okay, Mr. Arlene, so how are they going to decide um, whether or not um, I, I should get custody? Well, let me ask you a few questions. What was your relationship like um, when you guys were together? Well, we never lived together. Okay, so you never lived together. So who has a child lived with for the majority of their life? Mm. Oh, you know, they've been with the mother since day one. All right, well, you know, so that's gonna be a strong factor, um, not necessarily in your favor. Doesn't it's not dispositive, mm -hmm. but it's definitely something that they're gonna look at. Mm. Take another scenario. When we were together, um, we had problems. Okay, what kind of problems you had? She used to sniff coke and she used to smoke weed and she used to do this, that, and the third. So I'll say, well, Mr. Rucker, all of those are relevant factors. Um, and they certainly weigh on uh, her decision-making as a parent. But let me ask you a question. What were you doing when these things were going on? Mm. Right? Like, so all, mm. and, and that's what I'm talking about. A lot of times people um, don't seek understanding. They act off emotion, but mm -hmm. they're thinking. Okay. And a good lawyer and a good attorney-client relationship is a collaborative effort. It doesn't mean that you do everything I say. But what it means is that I'm here to advise you. Right. 
you should expect me to advise you. Right. In fact, you should demand it because that's what you're paying for. That's so in that way, you're the boss. I work for you. You don't work right. for me. But a lot of times, and this is what you were talking about before, when you yield yourself to um, a person because you bought into some myth, mm. you ask no questions. Mm. Right. And that goes right. back to right. you know your place. That's right. You don't ask them. That's right. And, and then you put yourself at a disadvantage. That's right. right. Come to me or you come to Denise, what you're going to get, you're going to get understanding. Right. Because you're going to feel so comfortable asking me stuff because you, you don't view me in the same way, for, mm. for, for better or for worse. Mm. Mm -hmm. The way that it could work to your benefit is that you ask me questions and I give you information to help you make a, a sound decision. Mm. Doesn't mean that we're right. always going to agree. Sometimes we're not going to agree. Sometimes right. you're just going to straight up lie to me. You're not going to That's tell me that you committed domestic violence against her. Ooh. And that right. a lot of these incident had, incidents have, have never been reported. Mm. But Mesma Lee, when she hops up on that stand, she's going to tell everybody about it. Mm. She's coming yeah. with the pictures. She's coming with the pictures. That's right. <laughs> she's, coming, <laughs> she's coming with the pictures. She's coming with the, with the witnesses. She might have, you know, uh, the child might have witnessed these things, stuff like that. So there's a lot of different things that's happening, a lot of different moving parts. Mm -hmm. um, there could be real alienation going on. The, the, the other parent might have created a narrative in the child's head. And because the child has heard it over and over again, they now, you know, you, you pull their string or you, you turn the dial, get in front of their lawyer, and they parrot it right back. Hmm. Yeah. Right? You know, you often hear that in situations where a lot of the adjectives that the child use are not appropriate for that child's age. And you say, well, who's that talking? Is that, is that my child talking or is that the, the mother or the father talking? Mm. Right. And, and a lot of those things are um, clues or hints as to what's really going on. Mm. Um, so th there's a lot of things happening. But to answer your question, um, the, the what you should expect is a collaboration between you and your attorney. Mm. And you should definitely expect to come out of, um, you know, at least an, an initial consultation or um, your dealings with that attorney, you should come out with understanding mm. that, you know, maybe your position is not as sound or not as strong as you thought it was. You might still want to push forward and, 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 and you know, do what you got to do, um, because you really feel like the, the kids will be better off with you. Um, but you at least understand the benefits and the risk of the, the course of action that you take. Mm. Yeah. And I would also say you have to be, you have to have that, you have to have a level of candor, you know, with the person that you're dealing with, because again, you know, and Wayne brought out like some very good points in terms of, you know, you know, you ask, we have a conversation and you, you're telling me things about the relationship and you want to say things that like, oh, the mother sniffs coke or the father sniffs coke or, you know, and, you know, he does all of these terrible things. And it's like, oh, well, how long has he been living with the father? Oh, he's been living there for five years. Oh, so you've called the police about this? No. You've called ACS? No. So you never no. went to take the child out of the house? No. So you're just as neglectful as the mother because you knew that this child was being subjected to these things. And you left them there. 
or the, you know, they get so caught up in the emotion of trying to get the other person because unfortunately it's often not about the children. It's about that failed relationship. So you so heavy of, gu- of gunning for the other parent, you're not even thinking about how you're not even credible right now. Either you're lying or you're just as sorry as the person that you've left them with because you knew that your child was, was being subjected to all this abuse and all this, this, this you know, and all of these drugs but yeah, you left them in that situation. And now that the child is seven, you've decided that you should be the one with custody. So these are the things, and this is a real conversation that you have to have with your client to understand that this is what we're walking into. Hmm. And sometimes people can't handle that. Well, whose side are you on? Yeah, because guess what? Yeah. When I'm cross-examining Denise's client, I'm doing and saying and asking all the same things that she just done told you about. Mm. Except I'm not doing it in a kind way. <laughs> That's what they don't understand. Yeah, I'm doing it in a way that is, is going to make you look horrible. Mm. Um, because, you You're know. painting a picture. I'm painting right. a picture. I'm painting a picture. All right. That's that. Listen, that's great, 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 great. Um, ooh, that was intense. All right. So let's segue into co-parenting so we we know how it can go wrong right and we know some of the things that lead us down roads of expensive uh negotiations that may not work out toward the end right um but i know i heard the term uh joint legal custody mm-hmm. right and so i'm wondering is that the same as co-parenting well i think the thing with co-parenting is um i don't know that co-parenting and custody necessarily have to be on the same page, right? Because let's say you have um, sole physical custody of your son, right? And the mom just has visitation. But you all can co-parent in the sense of um, John has a play tomorrow. So I don't know if you're available, but John's play is at seven. Um, I have to work till six. It's going to be a little tough for me to get him there on time. I know you get off at four. You think you could pick him up from school and take him to the play and I'll meet y'all there? That's co-parenting. That's working things out. So I don't know that custody and co-parenting have to be the same thing. Because co-parenting is just the ability to parent together, right? To be able to make decisions together, to have a conversation together. Um, I had a, like, you might call the, the mother and say, listen, I had a conversation with Jill's teacher today. Looks like she's not doing so good in math. What do you think about getting a tutor? Uh, I mean, I can get a tutor, but, you know, like I said, I got all of these expenses. I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, I can put this amount to it. You guys working together, that is co-parenting. So I don't know that it has to do with custody in this, you know, like, I don't know if it has to go hand in hand in terms of, if you have joint legal custody or because there's you could have joint physical custody where Wayne was talking about the 50-50 where the child spends half of the time with you half of the time with the mother but to me the whole thing with co-parenting outside of who physically has the child is your ability to interact with that other parent in the best interest of the child putting whatever we had aside you know putting whatever we had aside let's be able to just talk about what needs to happen for these children. 
So I think that is the co-parenting part. And I think that's a little different than, I mean, it can go hand in hand in terms of the custody, but I think that it doesn't necessarily define how you co-parent. Just because the child lives with the mother and the father visits, that doesn't mean that because she has the physical custody of the child that they can't co-parent. Some fathers physically can't do it. I drive a truck. I'm only here. I'm only in town four days out the month. So I can't have physical custody, but I can have a conversation with my, with the, with the child's mother to be on top of how did things go today or what's going on with her in school or he's playing football, you know, when's the game? Cause I'll be back in town a certain time or my brother's going to come out um, and watch the game. So there's ways you can co-parent without it having to be intertwined with, Oh, because she has her most of the time, then we're not co-parenting. I don't, I think that there's, there's a difference there. Mm. Okay. Because co, um, just to pick up on that, co-parenting can be highly uh, effective, co-parenting, and you can have a raggedy ass co-parenting. Mm. So, you know, um, you really have to define or um, think about uh I suppose what what you're asking, right? Because mm-hmm. any raggedy situation is co-parenting. It might you might not like the way it's going, but you're still co-parenting. Um, I think that maybe uh, maybe built into your question is co-parenting effectively. So I'm going to take it from 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 that perspective. When people are co-parenting effectively, um, what they're doing is they're able to collaborate, right? I'm coming back to that same word, it being a collaborative effort. They're able to collaborate in the way that best advances the best interest of the child. Mm. So for example, if I'm a court officer, you're a correction officer. You know that there are instances in which I can't leave Rikers or I can't leave the facility that I'm working in because something happened and there's a lockdown. I pick up the phone if I'm able to and I shoot you a text. I say, hey, um, I'm not gonna be able to pick up the child today. Um, can you pick him up and run him over to his karate lesson for me? By that time I should get out um, and I'll meet you at the karate lesson. Mm-hmm. That's co-parenting, right? And that's highly effective co-parenting. Mm-hmm. Highly dysfunctional co-parenting is when I'm calling you, you know I work up at the jail, I'm calling you, calling you, calling you. You sending me straight to voicemail hmm. because you probably know, you know, there's some situation up there, and that's what I'm calling for. But you, you know, you're running around doing what you're doing, hmm. um, and because this person normally assumes the bulk of the parenting responsibilities, um, uh, you, you're you're of the mind that she can figure it out or he can figure it out, they always do. Mm-hmm. So in a way that's co-parenting too, it's just not highly effective co-parenting. That's highly dysfunctional co-parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just wanna add to that, Wayne, just, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I just wanna add to that too. Or you go pick up the child and you complaining the whole time in the car about how this is some BS, how this person didn't come and pick up the child and the child is listening to everything that you're saying. So now you're disparaging the other the other parent in front of this child because you had to go to karate today. 
Right. So that's that's also dysfunctional co-parenting because yes, you went and picked the child up when you, when the when the when the correction officer asked you to, but now you're making it seem as though the correction officer has done something bad, mm-hmm. and now the child is hearing you talking uh, talking badly about this person who couldn't help it. They're in the lockdown. Mm-hmm. You're available, okay? So, but when you talk negatively, that that also impacts the child whether it turns them against the other parent or it makes them feel bad for the other parent and the child should never be put in that position. So that's all, that can also be the dysfunctional um, co-parenting. Sorry, Wayne, I just wanted that. No, no, definitely. And listen, um, Sharif, there's, there's situations where people do come into family court because um, I would almost argue, well, if you wanted to have effective co-parenting, you wouldn't be in family court. Hmm. But, you know, that's not always the case. You have, you know, like I said, you're dealing with a lot of ignorance. You're just dealing with people who don't know. Mm-hmm. There might be two young parents um, who, you know, they, they have a child together. And um, they might have had a little dust-ups or whatever. But now they want to come to court. and They want to establish a visitation schedule. Um, so what might happen in the case like that is when you have now two attorneys on either side, who listens to those people and is not feeding into the adversarial nature of it and looking at it from a more holistic perspective, will say, Denise, you think your client would be okay with going to mediation? And they'll go um, to mediation and they'll sit down with a mediator who at their best will try to help them understand all of these things um, that, you know, we've talked about what legal custody is, what physical custody is, what effective co-parenting is, how um, one parent shouldn't disparage the, the, um, the other parent to the child, how they shouldn't allow other people to disparage the parent to the child, um, and how all of that can, can have uh, a negative or a positive effect um, on, on the parent-child relationship. And then they can come out um, because they have a greater level of understanding about what their roles are, what their responsibilities are, and what the expectations are, that now they left with a mediation agreement that they can they can take and they can they can use as a framework um, for what they're supposed to do, um, and also something that they can build on. Um, and 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 as you talked about, um, they can now co-parent in an effective way, mm-hmm. you understand? So um, that, that's in the best case scenario. Is being financial, solely financial, considered uh, co-parenting? No. Okay. No, no. Um, money's important. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll hear uh, a non-custodial parent come in and they'll say, um, why, I don't know why they, they need all this money. I, you know, they tell me that um, he or she needs sneakers, and I, and I always get them. Um, or they tell me, they just need to tell me what they need, and I'll get it. But, you know, what sometimes they miss, because they might not have been in the type of relationship where they actually cohabitated, um, what they're missing is that a child has needs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't happen when they when their sneakers, you know, are, are, are turned over, or when the new Jordans come out. It happens. They need to eat every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. They, 
you know, you know, <laughs> they might, um, you know, want this for breakfast and they want Shake Shack for lunch. And, you know, they, they, they might be used to, you know, eating this for dinner. Um, and that's a need that the, the, the custodial parent is going to have to fulfill every day. So um, when you think about child support, uh, you have to also think of it more holistically. Don't act like or take the attitude that the finances are not important. But at the same time, the finances are not the only part of being a parent. And a person should use finances or lack thereof as being a reason why they should not co-parent with this other person because that's childish and that's petty. And more importantly, it's not in the child's best interest. So let's, let's turn it around. So there's that case and then there's the other case. Um, because I'm not getting child support, you're not gonna see your kid. Is that co-parenting? Of course well, we that's, Yeah, well, that's definitely not, that's definitely not co-parenting, even though there should be some finances coming from the non-custodial parent. Um, that is definitely not co-parenting. Um, and there are remedies for that. And one of the things that I find very, very funny about that concept that you brought out is that I will speak to um, fathers, um, especially when it comes, you know, when the when the when the support petition comes, and it's like, oh, you know, she want me to give her money, but she don't even let me see my kids. And I said, okay, well, you know what? Um, did you file a visitation petition or a custody petition with the court to ask the court for permission to see your kids? Like she filed the child support petition? Oh, nah, because we can do that. We can file the custody petition or the visitation petition so that you can have access because you're supposed to have access. They don't want to file the petition, but they don't want to pay. Hmm. So there is no, so there's a remedy for that. Hmm. If she's telling you that, oh, I'm not going to let you see the kids because you're not paying, then go to court. But the reason why a lot of times they don't want to go to court is because then they don't want that subsequent petition to come out. So that's where people have to, that's, that's where I'm talking about where people have to be honest about their situation. So when you want to talk about, oh, she's not letting me see the kids. Okay. So then go to court and file a petition so that you can see your child. But then they're reluctant to file that petition because then they don't want the custody petition to come. But she's entitled to child support, and the, or he's entitled to child support, whoever the custodial parent is. And another thing people fail, fail to, well, that people miss is that the custodial parent, if the custodial parent is working, their income is taken into consideration. You're not paying 100% of the child support. So if she makes $50,000 and you make $50,000, you both are paying 17% of of that $100,000, it's just that she's the custodial parent or he's the custodial parent, so he's not gonna have an order. Hmm. So, you know, so th those are the things that, you know, people miss. So again, I think that that, that doesn't fall into the realm of co-parenting. You know, that, you know, that's just him not paying child support and the mom not being, and the mom being upset about the fact that he's not paying. But I think that I don't I don't know that that works in terms of this concept of co-parenting because clearly they're not there's no communication or there's no co-parenting in the sense that he's claiming he's not seeing the children and he's and she's claiming he's not helping out financially so that's definitely not 
um, co-parenting. Yeah. Let me ask you, so just going into, I mean, into like making it work. So what are like the values and strengths that you look on, um, that you look for from parents to make a co-parenting agreement work? Like what, I mean, these people have to have to possess something to make this work. I mean, I know we, we yes, we know it's collaboration, but like, it's gotta be, what is, what do we, what do they have to come to the table with? <laughs> they first have to make a resolution that they have to put their junk aside because oftentimes that is what's keeping them from co-parenting so i cheated on you get over it we're not together anymore let's leave that over there let's deal with our children whatever issues tore us apart we have to put that to the side because what happens is that when you when I, when you start using the child to get to me that's not in the best interest of the child. So if I don't want you to have visits with, with the child because you have a new girlfriend, that's, that's, that has nothing to do with the child and has the child's relationship with you, mm. right? And if I can't get past the fact that you have a new girlfriend, so now I'm making excuses, well, I don't want another woman around my child. See, we got to get, get our thing out of the way. We're not together anymore. So we're gonna see other people, life is gonna go on. So we have to be willing, I, in, in my opinion, we have to be willing to shelf whatever's going on with us and deal with the child. That's it. And we don't have, it, it's not much that we have to deal with, right? We don't have to talk. I don't need to know how your day is. You wanna visit, you wanna visit with Kevin? What days do you want Kevin? Okay, I have this plan, I have this plan, but Saturday he's free. You want to pick him up from baseball, you can pick him up from baseball. He has baseball from whatever to whatever. And, you know, you, we, we can, that, we need to work on that. If all of this, oh, is your girlfriend going to be, that's, listen, that's your business. I, we have to, we have, as adults, we have to put, we have to shelf whatever's going on with us. We have to put that to the side and just deal with our children because that, we have to deal, we have to do what's in the best interest of the children. And I think that is how, that is one of the things that has to happen before you can uh, effectively co-parent, as you say, because I think a lot of, oftentimes, the, unfortunately, in most of the cases in family court, it's not about the best interest of the children. It's mm -hmm. about whatever happened between you and I that didn't work out that we still festering over. And unfortunately, the child gets caught in the middle. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, yeah, we have to collaborate, but before we get to the collaboration, we have to be willing to put whatever angst that we have against each other, we have to put that to the side and just deal with deal with the children. You know, and you I know, think that's very hard for people to do. That's what I'm saying. So that's what I was gonna say. You asking a lot, you asking a lot. You, you're telling me that I gotta take this pain and I gotta put it on a shelf and then deal with this person and raise this kid. And every time I see this person, they trigger me, right? And we trigger and and then and then and then I have to watch my mouth around my child, right? In terms of things that I want to say to that other person comes out because then my child becomes my counseling member or my counterpart, right? And so how you know, like so so like it's easier said than done. Oh yeah. I don't know how, don't know how, how do you how do you even get people to shelf it? Like, I mean, without counseling, that could take years. Well, I, I, but I, maybe someone, yeah, go ahead, Wayne. No, I, I think that, you know, a lot of times what happens is you have scenarios wherein people shouldn't have checked 
a child to them. They didn't think this out. They, you know, liked the way that this person looked. Um, they liked the way that this person made them feel. And um, they made a, I'm not gonna call it a, a mistake, but they made a decision um, to engage in an activity that has a lifetime of consequences. Mm. Um, and now they're finding out all of the things about this person that they didn't take the time to find out before that they knew were their triggers, right? Because at, at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta be accountable. You made this decision. Mm -hmm. You know, Denise knows, I'll say to people over, over and over again, when, you know, the client will dump on me telling me all the negative things about her, all the negative things about him. I say, hey, at the end of the day, you pick them, right? So when you wanna, mm -hmm. you wanna assign blame, you have to take some accountability. You gotta, you have to take some ownership. Mm. And that comes with um, uh, having a level of maturity and having a level of introspection um, and self-reflection. Mm. And in the best case scenario, where you have people who are somewhat healthy, emotionally, right. it makes for better co-parenting situations. Mm. Better, um, mm -hmm. uh, I forgot the, what the word that you had asked about, but it makes for um, a better situation for the child overall, because they're able to compartmentalize the issues that they have with that person. Mm. Yeah, I don't think you're, you know what, because you're a womanizer, but you are a good father. Mm. And I'm always going to um, show you that respect as being this person's father um, to always try to work effectively with you. Now, how common is that to have that attitude? I mean, Sharif, we, you know, this is life, man. You know, <laughs> how, common, how common is it in family court? <laughs> in family court Not very, <laughs> which is why they're there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is, is which is why they're there. Right. Is it is it yeah. come outside the test tube of family court? I don't know. I, I would have to take a survey. If I looked at our community as a whole, I would say it's not common at all. Right. How many But it happens. I I but I can say that it happens. I can say yeah. um, you know, that it happens. And I think that when you start saying that, you know, when you start talking about triggers and, you know, all these different things, I think that one, you have to be willing to make that sacrifice for your child. If you are seriously interested in what is in the best interest of your child and the, the, um, what is best for his or her emotional um, and psychological welfare, then you would make that effort. Or you would engage in, 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 in behavior where maybe you don't, you don't deal with the mother in person. Maybe you deal with her via email or via text um, in order to make arrangements. But you have to be willing to make that sacrifice for the betterment of your child, because that's what this is supposed to be about. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of it being the adults. And it's, it's what's going on between the adults and not the children. That's right. most of what's going on in family court. Right. I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still mad at you because you cheated. I get it. That's why we're not together. Right. That's why we're not together, you right. know? But now we have to leave that part of it alone. That was five years ago. And you still talking about how I cheated. But what's that got to do with the dance recital though? Right. 
Because that's what we're supposed to be talking about. Right. What does that have to do with the dance recital and how many tickets you need? Is your mother coming? Like, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But somehow it's like, oh, oh, so we go into the dance recital. Every time I think about, we talking about the cheating again. We talking about, you know, um, you know, whatever it is that, that brought y'all apart, that shouldn't, that shouldn't keep coming up. So when you say, oh, but every time I see this person, you, I think I would say that for the, if, you know, for you know, for the sake of your child or your children, then you have to you have to figure it out because th that's it's not fair to them. It sounds like it's not fair to them. Sounds like the whole concept of co-parenting is ideal. However, I mean, based on your experience, is it becoming? I mean, are you seeing more of it now that people are considering considering co-parent? Or there's no shift? It's still the same. What I find is that. I, I think there's more of an, of an awareness of the avenues that people have to go to tackle their own issues. Hmm. So when you're talking about um, personal therapy, family therapy, um, uh, people taking parenting classes, mm -hmm. um, people um, engaging in, in really just acts of self-reflection, I think that there's more of an awareness of that. Okay. Um, I think it's just a, more of awareness of it in society um, as a whole, and it, and it's kind of funneling through. <clears throat> but and I would even say, mm -hmm, go ahead. No, no, no. But I'm going to say at the end of the day, um, people haven't changed that much from the beginning of the time in terms of what you know what motivates them, um, mm -hmm. and and you know what kind of keeps these vicious cycles going. You know, because when you look at a lot of these situations. People only a lot of times do what they know mm -hmm. and revert back to uh, uh, behaviors that they experienced in their own childhood a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And it really takes a lot of introspection and reflection for a person to break that cycle and say, you know what, I'm not going to do this with my child. Mm -hmm. um, how can we do this better? Right, I, you know, I, I'm like Denise said, I'm mad about this. This happened five years ago, um, but you know what? I'm I'm noticing that Johnny is is he's becoming very aggressive, or um, he's becoming very withdrawn. What is going on with him? Is it something that we're doing? Um, and if it is something that we're doing, what can we do differently um, to to get a, a different result out of him? Mm. Right. And, and, you know, um, yeah. But what I have seen also though, and um, sometimes when people go through the custody phase, like I said, I think maybe sometimes because it takes so long, but I think that when people get an understanding, because I think oftentimes people don't understand that there are these different concepts in terms of custody and, and legal custody, because sometimes, and I'm going to say, I've noticed it with the fathers, they're not necessarily coming in saying, I want custody, but they want access. And because, like I said, because there's been this thing between them and the mother, yeah, you have women that are like, oh, well, he can't come on Saturday. Or he can, you know, every time he, the father asks the time, there's an excuse why he can't come. Or, you know, she's putting him in activities on, you know, during times when she knows that that's like the only time that the father can, can visit. So I find that oftentimes when, when, once they come to family court and they get an understanding of like the father coming and be like, well, I want custody because she's not letting me see the kids. 
And then when you talk to him about it, you know, his schedule really doesn't permit for custody. But he's like, but I want, I just want to see my kid. Before you get to the trial stage, oftentimes you can get to a point where you can negotiate and they can settle where there's an understanding. Where one, the father has an understanding that, well, I really don't want custody, right? Because I, I can't have them because of my schedule or because of, you know, my lifestyle, whatever. Um, and then the mother sort of comes around in terms of, okay, listen, you're going to have to give him access because he has rights. Like, you can't just tell him he can't, you know, see his child like he has rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the judge can force him, you know, to, you know, can force you, can order you to let him see him at this time. And she may order it at a time that's not comfortable for you. So sometimes, as Wayne likes to say, once they get understanding, um, then things, things sort of work themselves out. So I think that sometimes during this process, people do come to a place where they learn how to co-parent because, yeah. because the, this ignorance that Wayne talked about becomes cured through the process. So, you know, there are some successful stories that come out of family court. Well, so so family court becomes like sort of like an educator. Well, it becomes an educator, but it's an, also a set of eyes on them at all times. Right. Because a lot of times a person will say that they want something, but the best way to demonstrate your intentions or the, the best way to demonstrate um, uh, the words that are coming out of your mouth is through your actions. So if you say you want the children every other weekend, plus, you know, you know, Wednesday and Thursday on the off weekends, guess what you have to show? You have to show consistency mm. because when we come back to court in three months, and Denise says, well, the father hasn't visited um, since the last time we were here, despite the fact of there being a temporary order of visitation, then you're not going to be a person who's going to be taken seriously. Mm. Right? So um, a lot of times the best way uh, for you to correct the situation is for you to demonstrate consistency. Be a person of your word. Make your word mean something. It must be your bond. If you are going to be a person who's, who, you know, you, you might show up, you might not show up, the, the other person don't have no respect for you. Mm. So when you say, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you're asking for consideration, if they got something else to do, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go take care of some other thing they got to do. Right. Because you might show up, you might not show up. Right. And I can't live my life like that. I don't work off of your schedule. Right. So, right. you know, like I said uh, uh, earlier, um, it, it, it really, effective co-parenting really starts with respect. Respect for the other person's um, time. Respect for the other person's life uh, and the things that they have going on. And in turn, you want and you should demand that same consideration um, when the pendulum sp uh, swings the other way. Right. So, you know... Um, those are, you know, once again, they are like great stories that come out of it. Um, great stories because people, you know, they, they see things from the other parents perspective, um, you know, which basically means they have empathy now and they are not putting their needs ahead of the needs of the child mm. right. because they see the effect that the father had or the mother had when they get to see the child, the child feels whole. Right. Right. It, it, and in a lot of ways, it's corrective of a lot of behaviors that the child might have been exhibiting that were negative. 
But now that the child has the father or the mother in their life on a constant and consistent basis, now um, they know that there's expectations of them. They know that there's going to be another parent who's going to um, pressure them to act appropriately. Right. And now, because of that effective co-parenting situation, um, they're making a whole person who is, you know, in a, in a good place mentally, um, uh, physically, you know, spiritually, if you, you know, you want to really get deep with it, but, you know, um, in, in, in good situations, that, that's what happens. And it does happen. And it does happen. So I'm glad to, mm -hmm. I'm glad to know that there's hope because we want to definitely give people the possibility that this is hope and this is, this can happen. It may seem like the ideal, but with work and setting aside your differences and, understanding that you know that was the relationship but this is now being a parent and and, wow. and you know just just locking in in that direction i think there can be some success i just want to just add, add one more question just, but hold on uh let, let me just back up a little bit okay. it should work most of the time okay and it can work most of the time with, with those love. conditions with love with right love. because at the end of the day what these two people have presumably is love for this child. Mm. Right. And that love right. should override all of the nonsense, all of the BS um, from their past uh, in dealing with each other from their past in general. And every parent, I believe, wants the very best for their child. For their children, that's Whether right. the best to them means that they have all the latest sneakers, all the latest whatever, in their way, they want the best for their child. Awesome their best in their mind at that time is limited based off of their worldview. Mm. But as their worldview expands and they get greater understanding, then they want better for their child, better than what they had. Mm. So right. I think that it should work most of the time um, because they have probably one of the strongest emotions um, that we know of right. to propel them, to push them um, towards doing things in a, in a good and positive way. So let me ask you if 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 someone is you know so someone that we for our, our listeners and they you know they lock into this and they hear this, where can they begin this process to you know what resources are available to them to start this process of co-parenting to do it a different way to set things aside to put it on the shelf to focus in and and, and lead with love and doing this co-parenting agreement. How do they start this? Where can they go? Um, well. You know, there's a, there's a number of resources, right? If, if you're a person who um, is a religious person, you might get it from your mosque, you might get it from your church, you might get it from your yeshiva, um, and it might come through the elders or the, the leaders within the church who might be able to guide you in the spiritual way towards this type of thing. Um, you know, if, if, if you prefer, uh, you know, something more um, worldly, so to speak, there are agencies, like there's an agency that I deal with um, and refer clients to called Family Kind. And they provide a, a, a bevy of services um, to people, um, which includes uh, uh, parenting classes. Um, it includes co-parenting classes. It includes uh, individual therapy, family therapy. Um, so if a person wants the information um, there's a lot of resources that are out there um, to help them to do better. Um, you can, you know, uh, 
a lot of times you can get uh, uh, good advice um, from from you know people who've been through your situation who presumably are older than you and and, mm -hmm. and have wisdom and can tell you um, you know sometimes they tell you the wrong thing too but uh, you know if they if they've been through it um, right. a lot of times they they might say you know Sharif man what you doing ain't even worth it man at the end of the day that child is going to look at you and they can remember and the, the result that you think you're working for right now, you ain't even going to get that. What you're going to get is resentment. Mm. You know, they're going to resent how you, you talk to their mother. Mm. Or they're going to resent how you talk to their father. Mm. So yeah. um, in terms of resources, resources are all around you. Just like, just like you can figure out, um, you know, how, how and when your stimulus check is coming, <laughs> you can figure out uh, how to get help. Um, for a situation that you might need help with. Yeah. yeah. Lisa, what you what you think about that? I mean, I think I think before I, I mean also I think that it depends on where the people are um in their relationship and in their maturity because um I think that one before you even start to look I mean you can like I said you can do mediation um, there's like the New York Peace Institute, which is right there on um, Gerard, 210 Geraldo Street, that's a municipal building. Um, they offer mediation as well. But before you even get to um, the mediator, um, if you, I think that people should just really just try to work things out on their own. Um, you know, again, I, I'm just going to reiterate, try to put what differences you have aside and just focus on the child and if that is something that can't be worked out I think that people should try that first um, and if that is something that you absolutely cannot work out then yes maybe you can seek mediation um, maybe there's family members like sometimes people have family members um, that you know because y'all were together for so long you might have family members that in common that can sort of help you put things out um, but at the end of the day you know if you do have to go to court, you know, really focus on what it is that you really want. So if it's visitation you want and you know you don't have the capacity for custody, don't go in there asking for custody. Just go in there and ask for visitation. Um, one, it'll keep your cost down um, because you, you, you streamlined what, what it is that you're going in there for. So, you know, instead of, you know, filing all these different petitions, um, you know, you know, you want visitation and go in there straight away, ask for visitation. One, it'll take less time because then we don't have to figure out all the factors. You know, who's taking the child to the doctor? Who's taking the child? Who cooks the child's meal every day? Who, who, sets, who sets up the dental appointment? <clears throat> we don't have to go through all that because if you're only going in for visitation, you know, you don't go to the, to the yearly medical. You don't do all of that. So why go in and ask for a custody petition and have us go through all of those things when you know all you need is custody, I mean, all you need is visitation. So one, it's gonna keep your course down. It'll probably shorten up the court, you know, the court process. So I think those are the things that, you know, people can do. But I think at first you really should stay out of court because at the end of the day, you are asking a stranger and judges will say this. Like when you, when you come to a settlement, they'll tell the parties, I'm glad that you all came to this agreement because you are the best people to make a decision about your children. Because had you not, then we would have had to go to trial and you're asking me to make a decision about you and I don't know you. 
So now I'm making a decision about your family that you guys should be making. So at the end of the day, that's what should happen. Like you gotta, you, you have to put your differences aside and remember that it's about the child. It's not about you and what happened or what didn't happen, which is why you're not together anymore. Awesome. And Sharif, you know what? Uh, one of the things you talked about in the, in the very beginning are some of the financial costs. Um, that's associated with it. Denise and I have been talking a lot about um, from the perspective of family court, but there are other situations where there are divorces um, and in divorces, um, or in the same thing in family court, there's no amount of money that a person um, will not be willing to expend to make that other person's life miserable. Hmm. So uh, not to put a, a like a negative spin on some of the things that we've been talking about. But there's certain situations where um, there ain't gonna be no good resolution. Mm. Mm -hmm. they, gonna, they gonna F this child up, <laughs> you, know, um, it, you know, the best way that they know how. Mm. Um, because they're so angry, they're so upset about the way um, this situation worked out that um, rather than me settle this divorce case and pay these attorneys all these, this money, I want to go through the process of forensics mm. with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or um, a, a licensed therapist um, has to examine, has to open all of our heads up and examine what's going on inside and what the potential impact is on the child mm. and feed all this information to the judge who ultimately will make this decision. Mm. Um, so uh, there, there's that too. And I was just saying this to somebody else that, you could murder somebody and have less of a legal fee than when you're going through a divorce. Yeah. You might spend, you know, and it's some scenario, you might spend a hundred thousand dollars to defend yourself in a murder. Um, but when you get wrapped up in a divorce case, because of all of the emergencies um, that, you know, filings that you might want your attorney to do because of the discovery process that has to go on because of the forensics, because the AFC, attorney for the child, has to be appointed and the parties have to pay that person. You could be, you know, depending on what the finances of the parties are, you could be hundreds of thousand dollars into something. And some people are all, they're there for it. Mm -hmm. They're going to spend every dollar they, get, they have um, just so uh, they could make a point. Mm. Right? And the point in, in those cases, a lot of times, is not even about the child. It's just about the, the deterioration of that relationship. Of that relationship. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different um, perspectives when, you, when you're talking about um, these types of cases. But the important thing to know is there are certain situations where family court, Supreme Court, they can't do anything about it. Mm. They, they're going to reach a point where there's just a stalemate, where you so badly alienated this child. That even if I'm the judge and I put in the order that says the father's to have every other weekend, guess what? This 10-year-old child with, you know, feet in the mind of his own is just not going. Mm. And, what, and then what you going to do? Mm. <laughs> You're right? right. They, the court might order um, uh, family, not, not family therapy, they might order therapeutic visits. But guess what? The child don't want to go. He don't even want to go talk to the therapist about how he don't want to go. Because right. he was so badly um, skewed in terms mm -hmm. of your behavior or in terms of what was told to him. 
Right. So, you know, everything is not lollipops and rainbows. You know, a lot of times there's just situations where, you know, you know, I curse a lot. So <laughs> I, a lot of times you see me pause, it's because I'm about to drop a curse, but I don't want to do that. It's in the first in part one and part two, Keisha curse a lot too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, listen, be, be yourself. Whatever, however you got to bring it across, bring it across. No, but sometimes stuff just head. don't work out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes stuff don't work out and it ain't going to work out. Yeah. You know, but those situations are really bad. I mean, in terms of, like I said, because parental alienation does exist. And it starts with the, the, the disparaging of the other parent. You know, discussing the relationship with the child. Sometimes outright lying, you know, to the child about the other parent. And that, you know, and again, that is all designed to hurt the other parent. But at the end of the day, the child is the one that's being hurt. Whether they have, whether they hate the mother, they hate the father, they are dealing with these feelings of hate. Mm. And it's not, and it's not helpful, you know, and it's, and it's sad because the other parent has no problem telling people, oh, he can't stand his father or he can't stand the mother, you know? But the thing is, is that, yeah, you feel like you're winning because you feel like the child is on your side, but that child is hurting because they're hating the parent. Mm. So that's why I'm saying you have to put the child first because at the end of the day, you're not winning. And that also can come back on you because I've had a client like that where she, you know, she, you know, she didn't want the, you know, there was issues with the father. She sort of told the kid, you know, he's, you know, of a certain age, oh, you don't have to, you know, you can make your decisions because the court starts telling them that like once they get of a certain age, the court lets them know that the older they are, the more weight they, what the weight, the more weight they give to what the child wants. So now the child's a teenager and the court is telling, is, is telling, you know, telling, telling the mother, telling the father, telling the attorney for the child, listen, this child is 14, 15. It's going to be hard to tell this child, you know, that to force this child to have a relationship with the father. Okay. So you want to keep telling him that, oh, you know, it's up to you. You do what you want to do. So now when he want to stay out till midnight, you said I'm old enough to stay and do what I want to do. Well, I want to stay out till midnight. So it comes back to you. It comes back to you, this stuff that you feed the children. Because again, you're, you're, you got to remember what you're telling these children. That when you're telling this child that he has, he has to decide, he makes the decision whether he wants to talk to the father or have a relationship with the father. And if he says, well, I don't want to talk to him because the custodial parent is supposed to be fostering a relationship with the non-custodial parent. Right. So now when you get to the point to tell that person, you know, to feed that child, oh, you, you, listen, you're old enough to make your own decision. Yeah. So he, he, he feels like he's old enough. So he's decided that he's midnight is too early. You said he can make his own decision. So that's what I'm saying. You got to be careful what you feed in these kids because you feel like you're winning. But at the end of the day, you're damaging that child. So we have to be careful of how we use our children in our battles with the other person. Right. It has to be about the child. So in, cl in, closing, in closing, I'm going to close it up. Um, and I might, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm probably have to think about if I'm going to do this in two parts. So let me get it like a, like a you know, just a, sort of the time. Um, I probably do two parts, but if if someone needs a lawyer in New York City, how do they reach you? Mm -hmm. If someone needs oh. a, a lawyer in New York City, how are they going to reach you? How would they? 
Because, I mean, they, they heard you. They made a connection from this show. They might want to contact you. Oh, they they can reach me at well they I can they can reach me at my phone number is um nine two nine two five seven one zero seven one and my email is D as in me Siler S as in Sam I L E R Law at gmail dot com. And they can reach me. I'll give the email first. Um, my first initial and my last name. So it's W-A-L-L-E-Y-N-E-E-S-Q at gmail.com. Or they can call me at 91, um, I'm sorry, 347-913-6620. And I'll you know do my very best to get back to you. All right. That ends our session. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.